Hey, what's up? You're listening to the Coffee Can't Fix Everything podcast. This is a show about mental health over a cup of coffee. Now, I know coffee's great, but it can't fix all life struggles. So, grab a cup of coffee, take a seat, and listen to these great conversations. Enjoy. Three things that I hear often is like, that I see often is like a need for love, a need for acceptance, and a need for protection. Kayla, how you doing? Good. Uh, I'm excited to be here. How are you doing? Hey, I, I, I'm blessed to be in your presence. <laughs> I just, I appreciate you so much. And, you know, I've, I've known you for, a, well, Probably what two years now? I think so. Three years now. We're in 2023, so yeah. No, yeah. It's, it's crazy to think that our first conversation was talking about mental health. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yes. <laughs> that video around the holidays. Wow. That was the first time. Yeah. And now we're here. That's crazy. You know what I'm saying? So I really, I really want to thank you and I appreciate you for what you do. Um, I want to ask you this question. I, I know it's a there's a lot to it, but what are you 28? 29 now. 29. Yes. Okay. Okay, <laughs> but you are you are a leader in not only mental health in general in the area, but especially you're looked at in the LGBTQ community because of how because of who you are. It, but how does that feel being being the OG at a young age and you're still looking for your own OG? Like, who do I go to? Yeah. What is that? What is tell me? What is that like? Honestly, I think about this a lot and. It's wild because in my mind, I'm like, I feel like I'm still figuring out a lot of things. So I have people across the age spectrum that will look up to me and be like, wow, I wish I had that. Wow, I wish I could experience that. Um, Especially be proud and out and talk the way I talk and just occupy spaces the way I do without like what it looks like without a lot of fear and stuff like that. I get a lot of people like I want to be like that. And um I feel encouraged because I had to do a lot of healing to get to this point. And I guess I never realized that I was different. You know, I just realized like I'm kind of just like going my course. I'm saying what I believe in. I'm standing on what I believe in and didn't realize that that separated me until like literally like two or three years ago. I thought everybody kind of moves like this. And so it's really encouraging in my role as a leader because I'm, I'm hoping to create these spaces and things such as that. But sometimes it can be really isolating because I'm, I've been thinking a lot. I was like, wow, if I had this when I was like a teenager or when, even literally when I was in college, because I didn't know anybody um, in college that was a part of the LGBTQ community, especially ones that I was connected with, which is crazy to me. Right. So it's in some ways it can feel like empowering, like, wow, yeah. Oh, you know, like they say, I'm him, like, I'm her, you know, that feels good. But I do feel like isolated sometimes, which unfortunately a lot of us feel that way in general because we're different. But it's just like you don't get to see a lot of like older people, especially older black people, uh, a part of the LGBTQ community that are living and embracing themselves with confidence and feeling supported and in community. So I sometimes struggle to know, like, who can I turn to that looks like me, that's had my experience to get some of that support? And so a lot of it, I find myself cultivating internally of like, where do I want to see myself becoming? Right. So I can track. So in a way, because of your your journey, you say you did a lot of work on yourself mentally. Yeah. You became the mentor that you want. 
And I wonder if those mentors that you were looking for, there's somebody out there right now that's 50 years old that's looking for time bound for someone like yeah. And so what was that work that you did that you can now say confidently, like, this is who I am. I am her. Oh, yeah. You know, well, yeah. tell me about that journey. Because that had to be. Oh, wow. There was levels to that journey. Layers. So, like, I just say that, like, I feel the onion inside my heart. Like, all right, where do you want to start? <laughs> oh, so it took, like, it's, it's, there's so many. And I could go on and on and on about it. But I'll break it down to, like, some, you know, clear statements of things that I remember mm-hmm. in times of them are like one big one like when I was early the coming out experience I think I had to really embrace that and a lot of folks in the LGBTQ community like that is a huge experience because that is coming out is like I'm accessing confidence I'm accessing courage because society has told me you are not okay as who you are and it's even harder being black because in the black community it's like why the message you receive is like why would you want to add harder parts in your life when you're already like it's already hard being black so when you come out like you have to be ready in many ways to own all of that and so by the time i came out i was like i'm ready for whatever blows i'm experienced i experienced a lot of blows um in many different directions some of those were internal from myself some of those were external and so that was like one big piece of like i'm i have to learn how to stand tall within myself because me not being who I am creates so much pain for me internally. And like, I don't feel connected to the world. I don't feel connected to the earth. And so that was like one big step. The next was like actually living in that truth. Uh, Cause one thing to come out with is one to like stay out, right? Cause the world will tell you, you gotta go back inside. This is not okay for you. So in living in my truth, I had to wrestle a lot. Cause I grew up from the South. I grew up in the AME church, oh, yeah. go to a Baptist church now. So like, those messages that was probably the hardest part is like how do i reconcile what i've been told about what god believes about me or loves me with what i actually believe and what i'm understanding you know in these different passages and i'm so grateful for like my best friend we did this together because he also came out it was funny we like we've been best friends since high school neither one of us you know uh came, came out so we left we're like hey then so <laughs> And so we like, we did that process together. We read a lot. We Like the Bible, we're reading books. We're listening to like different things. I had toxic pastors. We were sharing all of that. We were like going through that process. And that was when I started to like come to my own beliefs as well. And understand, also talk to other folks that have been through that journey or even just hearing the different pastors, what they're saying today. That was when I really started to shift even more so and I was just like okay I feel this but I didn't do the most important work yet so I did that on like the spiritual level like let me understand how it feels with God let me come out and so I can live but I never went back to that little girl that held all those messages and so that's why I preach a lot of inner child stuff because that changed the game was when I went to therapy and my therapist was just like yeah it sounds like there's a little girl inside of you that like has lesbianophobia right pretty much just like that doesn't believe that's okay and I re- I'll never forget this therapy session of when I had to connect with her and hear those messages and hear that pain. And I was able to offer just the love, support, and just hold space for that. I remember just like releasing all of it. And it's still beautiful to this day because I don't feel that way anymore because it's like I, I unburdened literally like that was that I was carrying. That was like interfering with my ability to like live honestly and truthfully in what. And right. And you could see it. Yeah. You could see that work now. I, I, that was something that I struggled with for a long time too, Kayla, in the sense of when you start talking about your inner child work, it, it brings a smile to my face now because at the time, 
you know, I was struggling with the fact that because of how I grew up and not having everything that I wanted, you know, there were things that were going on. There was this child in me that just wasn't, was just staying in their, in the corner comfort. And as an adult, that didn't allow me to, I wouldn't say it allowed me to be, to mask how I feel as, as humble. Like I just, I'm going to be humble. You know, I'm, I'm not going to do too much. I'm just going to, I'm just going to do my little thing here. I ain't going to do nothing. I had, I had all these dreams, Kayla, like I want to do all these things, but nah, Corey can't do that. You can't do that. You know what I mean? And then as you start to really, as I started to really work on that a little bit and be like, this is not being cocky. Like to say, Hey, I'm that guy right now. And it might sound cocky, but that allowed me to be like, you know what? I can do some of these things I've been envisioning for years and just never had the courage to do. Not because I didn't want to, but because that person in me was like, you, you can't do, you, you ain't going to do that. You, you know what I mean? And that was for me working on that and, and recognizing that was super important. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Cause there are a lot of grown men out there and women that have a child in them that has not been able to come out. They haven't been able to work on that. Right. How do you just as a friend, if you know somebody that's like, man, you need to talk to somebody, but just but saying that people, people to this day will get defensive. Mm-hmm. But how do you bring that conversation up? Like, how do you say, hey, I love you. And maybe I'm saying it. Right. <laughs> I mean, you felt like me. It's a blueprint. I'm saying it. Yes. Yeah, yeah. How do we break past the, the stigma of telling someone they need to go to a therapist or say even suggesting it? Right. And I think that's tough, too, because I might have a different perspective because most of my friends, like, know if I'm talking about there, like we're going to, I'm going to bring it up just because of the nature of my role. And so I think we, before we recommend it to someone, we have to be open eyes about how comfortable are we seeing a therapist? How comfortable are we even like encouraging that? Because if we don't check in with that, it's going to come off as like, you need to talk to somebody. You see how like my, my body's like backing up. like, what's wrong with you? Go check it out. Instead of like, well, I really think you might benefit from something like this. And so we don't do that internal check. We're going to pass down all these stigmas and negative judgments to our folks. Um, so what I would say is if you're trying to open the door for that, like I usually only recommend therapy to my friends when I'm like, this has been an ongoing situation that has happened. Because sometimes people just like eat a vent and just talk and then they feel OK. They just need community and support. But uh, and if you recommend it too early, it's just like, I just need my friend to just listen to me. I don't need a therapist. Yes. And so but when it becomes a pattern, that's when it's like, you know, you've been struggling with this for like a hot minute. You know, I've noticed you bringing it up a lot more. You're saying like you're not feeling okay, and it doesn't seem like it's getting a little better for you. And there's other things happening in your life. Have you thought about talking to someone? Because at that point, it's no longer you need to talk to them because you're not coping. It's you need to talk to them because you've got a lot going on and it's clear that it's impacting you. Right. Starting off that way. So if that is a rule of thumb people want to use, it's like, unless there's like a safety concern, usually a one-off would be like, no, you, I want to know you got it. But like if it continues to happen like two or three times, y'all talking about the same thing, then it might be like a, you know, have you thought about talking to someone, you know, so you have your own space to talk a little bit more about that. That's usually how I try to frame it. And I've been bad at that. So I will, 
this is something that I, I've improved on, okay? okay. I really have. Yeah. It, I have a friend say something to me that I may as interpret as, man, this is really, he's really telling me something that's really going on with him. And I want to be that supportive friend. And I'd be like, hey, man, that's, I, that's crazy, man. That's, I'm sorry you're going through that. And then I start to feel very uncomfortable. And I'd be like, but you'll be all right. I want you to be all right. You know, when, and I feel like for a lot of people like myself, you know, I, I, I struggle with the profession that I'm in and not towing that line with mental health. Cause I do see a lot of patients that are coming to me for maybe diabetes management or whatever management, but they are struggling. And I try to not, toe that line of being your, you know, being your therapist. Cause that's just not my scope. That's not my scope. And that goes, that translates to when I'm connected with my friends. So like, what can someone do when they're having that conversation with somebody and not, first of all, to break the stigma of being like awkward around it. But like, what, what, what would you say to someone that just doesn't, no mental background, nothing, but they want to support their friend. Yeah. What does that look like? One, I would say being a therapist means more than just sitting and listening to people or even just like talking to them about what they're going through. Like, I mean, just, yeah, it's like when someone's in a therapy office, I'm like listening to like how this connects to past patterns. I'm listening to the things that might jump out. I'm looking at body language and things like that. So and then I'm also listening to like, okay, how does this tie into like your original goals and things like that? And my feelings in that space don't matter. Like my thoughts about something don't matter. Uh, I am not offering advice, you know? So when folks like say like, I don't want to be a therapist, like there's a lot that goes into like being a therapist um, more than just listening. So if someone's like, how do you start? You can literally just listen and you can validate. You can just like offer support. You can ask them maybe like, how has that been impacting you? It may feel therapeutic but you aren't being a therapist. You were just being a support person. And that's what sometimes I think breaks my heart and like how our culture has like shifted towards mental health is they see, oh, someone just listening, being supportive, validating is being a therapist. And that takes away like, what does human connection mean? You know, like what does it actually look like in our society to be a support for someone in a way that just feels authentic without us like saying that. That's not even just, that's a lot of people's like, well, I don't know what to do because I'm not a therapist. It's just like, Y'all are like, we have a basic way to connect with people. And so I would say if we go back to some of that, it's just like, what does it feel like to be a friend, just to be there, to be supportive, to listen? And maybe even ask me like, how can I support you right now? Like, do you want me just to listen? Do you want to offer? So at least help me give some direction. But knowing that when you're starting to lean more into therapists is when you find yourself trying to fix their problems. And that's what I was going to say. Yeah. Like, I feel like for a lot of people, it feels like, you have to have some type of answer for them. Like if someone's coming at you with a major problem, the whole time I'm thinking, okay, how can I help this person? But really what I'm saying, how can I fix this situation? Yes, yes. And I'm I'm not fixing anything. I'm for I'm not I don't have the tools to fix that situation. And I'm doing them a disservice by trying to fix it when all I I can do much more than to sit here and just shutting my mouth. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, because I was gonna ask that where that have to that people have is like, I have to fix it. Like, where does that come from? And that might go back to some of the inner child of like, where, where is this need? Like if, if they're, if they're not asking me for that in this moment, they're just talking to me about what's going on. 
where is that need to make them feel completely eradicated of their feelings coming? Yeah, it, I can't speak for everybody, but I know just speaking from my experience at growing up, it's the, it was the need to control the environment, especially when you're coming from um, a rocky environment. I'm gonna say my, my upbringing was awful. I, I had a great life, but there were things that I felt like I needed to do to make sure my mom's happy, make sure there was peace in the house. Mom, I did this. I was mom's boy. Mom, I did this. I did make sure there was peace. And then you grow up being like, okay, maybe subconsciously like, oh, I, I, I can fix this. I can fix anything. Right. Yeah, I'm not Bob the Builder. You're, you're fine. I can't fix. No, and I, I start breaking more than I can fix. You know, and I think for me, it's just what I've learned just from this conversation so far is maybe I can fix more just by just shedding up and listening. I feel, and I feel like a lot of people can do that. And I, so I want to take it back to the LGBT community, but specifically those those babies that you that you are mentoring right now, those uh, those black babies that you see. Yeah. And I say babies because I'm old. I know. And I was like, yeah, but I mean, <laughs> if we weren't going in our children, like, we we him, yes. <laughs> yes. Walk me through that. Like, what, what is, what is the, the mindset right now? What are the things that they're going through? Because you already touched on it. Being in the black community, you have the church influence, you have cultural influences that make it harder. And yes, it's probably a lot easier now than it was early early 80s 90s early 2000s but what is that like yeah it's um there's three things that stand out to me before i jump to that i do want to go back to your like fixing statement that like i can fix myself by not saying anything or fix the situation by that i just know that it's not your responsibility to fix mm -hmm. everything just throwing that nugget out there other people might need to hear it too but that's sometimes you can lean into like i'm not responsible for this okay now just directing back um three things that i hear often is like that I see often is like a need for love, a need for acceptance, and a need for protection. And it's so sad because you hear it. And this is something I think LGBTQ folks across the board have to deal with, but for sure, like in a black community, um, is love is is stated as like always being there. It's like a staple thing. I'm gonna love you because you're my child. You know, I'm gonna love you because of this, this, and this, but you might not get the other two, right? So you might get love because that's just like inherent, um, but protection if someone says something out of pocket you know towards you by the community like why you let them dress like that why you let them date that person they're not saying often unfortunately and especially the folks that i work with it's not like leave them alone they deserve to love who they love it's kind of like well you know or kind of like you know, or, or silence or there's not a lot of you know rebuttal so there's that their protection isn't there and that can happen early in life just like the things that are said on television the things that are said like at the t family table, you know, like holidays, like the way you just kind of talk about things. Um, I remember, you know, when Barack Obama uh, signs, you know, into the law, like legalizing same-sex marriage and stuff like that, the conversations that were held in our black community about that action. Right. And we had so many black folks a part of that community that were listening, you know? So, you know, offer is kind of a mixed message. I love you, but I don't love that part of you. I'm not gonna protect that part of you. And then that leads right into acceptance of like, it sends a clear message that all of me is not worthy of being loved, supported, uh, seen, valued, heard. 
And then when you take that out of the home and then you go into society, and then that is like capitalized on being black or any other marginalized identity. Like let's say you have a disability, you add age into the component, you add all these other factors. It can create such a deep sense of isolation that makes you not only feel isolated from like your family, isolated from the world, but isolated from yourself. And often like in a lot of my work, I have to help them bring back that connection within themselves because we see a level of like, I have to disconnect from that part of me because I have learned that that is unworthy of love. And, and this happens even after like they come out, you can be dating people, but still like, yeah, but I disconnect or you kind of shape shift in certain spaces. I see it a lot, especially with the black gay men that I've worked with in my, in my time. It's like the change in voice, like playing a little more bass or feeling like you have to like kind of feel more masculine because um, in many cultures, especially black indigenous people, color folk, um, in certain communities, like the way gay men are presumed is to be more connected with society or seen as like less masculine. So in those spaces, they feel like they over, have to overcompensate. Same with women as well. If they're not more feminine, kind of you see that same pattern or else people will assume that you're something that you're not. And so even as you come out, it's like these, these battles and identity negotiations that happen internally that just create low sense of self. Uh, I was looking at statistics and it like broke my heart to see like, um, in 2022, like on the Trevor Project, what they do a lot of work for LGBTQ youth on my ages, like 13 to 24, the two highest rates of suicide were the indigenous populations in the black community. Yes. And I'm just like, what is going on? You know, it breaks my heart. And then we're seeing an increase in rates within that as well. So across the board. So those are the things that I see most common, um, especially within those communities. And a lot of therapy is like, how do we rebuild that internal love, you know, how do we rebuild community around you that you truly feel accepted? I, and I think I naturally went through that as well. It's like, as I was trying to navigate coming out, it's like, I love black people. I love being around them, but I didn't have a lot of black people that are part of the LGBTQ community. So, and sometimes I felt like, am I sacrificing a part of myself in certain conversations we can't have or they don't know how to have? But like, if you exit that space and I go into predominantly white LGBTQ spaces, the conversations of races don't come up in ways that make me feel comfortable or accepted or safe. And so you end up feeling, unfortunately, in times that you have to choose. And that can feel uncomfortable until you find a community that embraces every aspect of your identity, not just tolerates, but truly embraces and like celebrates. Right. So for, for someone like myself, cisgender male that wants to show, this is this is where I struggle. Yeah. Kayla is... um. I'm an ally and I want people to know I'm an ally, but I feel like I don't, I don't want to be performative. Like almost, almost like how someone's like, Hey, I got a black. Yeah. I was just about to turn my, I was like, yeah, it sounds like, no, I've heard that narrative before. Not, not. <laughs> yes. 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 I'm going to be like, Hey, how you doing? Like, Hey, so you know, Hey, I know, I know Kayla. Yeah. I was like, yeah. don't let me be. Cause obviously we're like, I ain't nobody talking friend. <laughs> so I'm like, but yes, yes. But you're right, though, right? It's like, how do you be an ally and actually live by that? Yes. So, like, what can somebody do just to, to show their support, show their love for these kids that feel like, as soon as they see me and they know who I am, they're like, ah. Oh. Because it feels like it's automatic, like, oh, you don't rock with me. You know what I'm saying? Like, I can say, yeah, let's just, we just left church or whatever. Like, oh, it's like, check. Yeah. But you don't know what's in my heart, though. So how do I show that support? even without having to say, hey, by the way, what, is that, what would that look like for someone like? Right. I would say that's kind of a tough one, too, because 
what you're describing is probably exactly what happens in a lot of folks in the LGBTQ community is like that constant scanning, like, are you a safe person? Yeah. And being aware to know that that's not a, a presumption of your of who you are. It's like a presumption of like what we represent. And a system of people, if you think about it that way, is like, is this person going to be safe or is this person going to harm me? I've been harmed by other people like that in the past and things such as that. And so we think of like allyship. Even if you go to church, there's a lot of folks that, like that in itself is like already being aware that that can be a place of harm. Yeah. But knowing that the way you treat somebody and the how you treat them, how you talk to them, how you acknowledge, you know, their identities and things like that's going to be really important. And so when I've talked to people, it's like the concept of relationships. So if you have a person that's within your crew of folks and y'all are talking about relationships, what kind of relationships are being talked about? Um, are we really talking about cis, hetero relationships? Are we acknowledging that there are other relationships that are available or are present? Because that's kind of those pieces of like, is this space for me? And it could also be like, what if someone were to look at you or like even look i would say like look on your like your social media page because that's where we like talk the most about ourselves or the things that matter to us is there any evidence of something that you that, care, that you care about is there anything in like our posts or the conversations that we have that would demonstrate oh yes this is something that i have value right because i think when we think of allyship is like i want to be safe but the people should know I'm safe, or they can ask me questions to let me know they're safe. And if we flip the script, it went and we're like, "What?" Right? Right? You're like, "Yeah, I don't know about that, Chief." So it's the same concept of like, what have I actively done, and how am I actively demonstrating that I'm safe? Because people will know. Like, we have a pretty good, a pretty good sense of like, all right, this might be an environment that would be okay to safe. Uh, for one, if they bring up something that kind of connects to that, or like, let's say you have uh, a gay friend and he's like, yeah, you know, my boyfriend, things like that. What's your body language? It's like, oh yeah, tell me more about your boyfriend. Or they're like, okay, cool, cool. And then we change the subject because we're uncomfortable, you know, am I actively engaging in the discussion? Am I actively open to it? You know, things like that. Um, those are ways that you can create that space, which comes from honestly intimate relationships. I mean, go into like, go to like the pride, um, the Pride Parade, things like that, you know, the types of books. People these days are posting a lot of the books that they're reading. Right. You know, these days are we posting books of like um, LGBTQ authors and things like that? Are we doing Audre Lorde? You know, are we doing James Ball? Are we, what are we posting about? And like, what are the kind of conversations we're engaging in? Are we staying silent about things that happen? Like, you know, shooting. you know, those are, that's when it goes to like ally with shifts into advocate of like what kind of community and space am I actually creating, not in my heart, but around me that lets people know they're invited. Right. And no, there's nothing worse than like feeling invited, which unfortunately happens because a lot of people will say, I care in my heart. And then they, you get into that space and they say these off pocket things where they say, I love you. And then something comes up and you're like, well, this doesn't feel good. You know, say with like other forms of allyship. So I would say in those spaces, like, actively engaging and letting them know you actually care about it so if they're dating someone like people with my wife they'll always say well how's how your wife how are things going it's like oh yeah you actually acknowledge that yes i have this in my life and things like that are you actually doing things such as no that's good kayla's always good talking to you like always learn something yeah thank you always thank you so much for your for your time today i really really appreciate you and uh, just thank you for sitting down talking about this very important topic absolutely thank you for having me true yes yes i appreciate all it. right yes absolutely yes, yes.